Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life & Legacy Advisory Group. Are you a small business owner who thinks they pay too much in taxes? We can definitely help. Give us a call or book a meeting by clicking the link in the show notes and get your free financial consultation so you have peace of mind about your financial future. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. If you're a business owner or HR leader and you're needing a competitive employee benefits package to help you retain and attract top talent, we can help. Check us out to book a free consultation and create a customized benefits package that fits your business and your budget. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with the ever-amazing Al McDonald. Al, what do you say? How's your week going? It's Friday. Here we are. It is Friday, and it's another podcast Friday. And, you know, I always learn something from our podcast guests. It's a lot of fun. And I'm very intrigued by the person we're about to talk to today because I'm very interested in finding out what he's all about. Well, imagine a podcast that's called Success Leaves Clues actually teaches you something. And that's why I always love doing it too, because we get to talk to really, really interesting people and people you might not have encountered in normal life. And I'm certainly grateful that I was introduced to this person joining us today. So without further ado, joining us today is Depeche Mystery. He is a builder, an operator, executive, and advisor. His sweet spot is shaping strategy and culture for companies that are trying to find product market fit and those that are scaling particularly in the last few years in the climate sector. Right now, Depeche is building towards a world with healthier food, more resilient farms, and a happier planet through regenerative agriculture at VEDA. I'm going to struggle with that the whole time. And he is their chief operating officer. Depeche, welcome to the show. Thanks, and uh, thank you for having me, Robin and Al. We could even just refer to it as Regen Egg. It's a good uh, short form. That helps. I like that. that. That'll work well for me. Well, why don't we start at the very beginning? I mean, you and I had such a good phone call the first time we connected right away. I was so interested in what you were doing. I just heard a podcast about it and I felt like the universe aligned when I met you and I thought, oh, I just found out about this and and I learned so much. So perhaps tell us about VEDA and how you ended up where you are today. So maybe to talk about VEDA, I first have to talk a little bit about regenerative farming or what regen farming is. And... At the core, what regenerative farming is all about is how to build up soil health. And it uses a whole series of principles that were very dominant in what's called it the way we used to farm, right? When maybe we didn't have synthetic fertilizer or we didn't have the modern tools that we have today. So things like keeping the soil covered, having diversity, having your different rotations of plants feed off of each other, right? And one plant providing the nutrients that the other plant needs. And through that process, being able to build up soil health, which leads to a whole series of really positive outcomes. The first of which is positive climate outcomes. You know, thinking about the natural processes of carbon cycling and plants taking carbon out of the air and putting it into the ground, making better use of water, restoring biodiversity, 
ultimately also increasing the density of nutrients in the food or fiber that's being produced. So a lot of really, really great benefits. And when I started learning about the space, I'd spent some time early in my career being involved in building and launching early stage companies. And, you know, that was very early on. And I kind of went away for that for a little bit, ended up back in that space in 2020. And one of the first kind of concepts that we were looking at at the time was regenerative agriculture. And that's where when I started learning about it as well, and just got personally fascinated. So when ultimately we decided, hey, this is a business we were definitely going to have to build. And now that's turned into what is now called VEDA. You know, I was the first to put up my hand and say, look, I want to be a part of this. And uh, that's kind of how my journey into regenerative farming started. As for VEDA, the idea as we were looking at this space was there's a lot of people talking about regenerative agriculture, and there's some interesting references maybe we can talk about in a little bit for people to go and check out if, if they're interested in learning more. But the reality was what we saw was there was a lot of talk and not a lot of action. And we started to unpack that a little bit and realized that there was this gap, not in the understanding of what regenerative agriculture was or what it could do, but how to apply it and how to apply it in a way that fit well with the way that farming is done today. So that's the kind of problem we set out to solve at VEDA. Through that process, we ended up setting up and running our own regenerative farms, which we still run and manage today. And we're just at the beginning of our journey. The idea, especially when we were first spoke, just intrigues me about how good it is for the environment and, and in turn, how good it is going to be for your food and everything that's associated with it. But I guess the question that comes to my mind right away is, as much as I love the idea, is it scalable? And that's exactly where a lot of people have been stuck, right? Is with that question, is it scalable? Scale means in this context, it means two things. The first thing is, can it be done at the scale in which farming is done today? Which is, you know, when you think about where most of the agricultural production is, it's on very large farms. And I'm going to speak a little bit more from a US-centric perspective, but I would assume that in Canada, it's the same. So these are very large farms, very heavily mechanized farms, very heavily optimized farms. And uh, the margins are razor thin in that business. So it, it has to be compatible with that. The second part is you know scalable in terms of being repeatable and being able to be done in, in multiple places in different contexts. And so our kind of understanding early on was that yes from those two aspects it is scalable but there's a lot that needs to be solved along the way because the kind of key let's call it infrastructure mechanisms that have all been put in place to support a conventional agriculture system today need to be in place to some effect to allow this regenerative way of farming to truly be successful and by infrastructure i'm talking about everything from the physical infrastructure of how that product is transported through the system, the technical support on how to go through regenerative agriculture, the financial mechanisms to help and make that happen. So crop insurance, loans, farms are very heavily capitalized businesses, but also highly leveraged businesses, right? So all of these things have to be in place. And what we're doing at VEDA is a couple of important parts of that but it's going to need you know more companies 
like Veda, but doing a different thing in, in that space for the space overall to be successful. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And I would put myself in this category as well. But I think today's society, we're very disconnected from where our food comes from, how it's grown, how it's sourced. And we all go to the grocery store and you pick up the package and it's all wrapped up and you don't give it much thought. Do you find, and you were just talking about, you're going to need more people to kind of become more aware of this. Do you find people are willing to have that conversation now? Do you think the tide is changing? Absolutely. And I'm going to plug it here just while it's top of mind. I would say for anyone who's interested, go check out Kiss the Ground on Netflix. It's a great introduction into regenerative agriculture and what it's all about. But to get back to your question, yes, I think the tide is changing. Internally at VEDA, we talk about it as almost like the perfect storm, where on one hand, you've got regulatory pressures, right? You've got scope three emissions targets. You've got more news coming out of COP putting emphasis of the importance of things like biodiversity and water, even in addition to carbon, where a lot of the focus has been. So with that regulatory pressure, you've got governments that are interested. You've got companies that are interested and not just interested in the sense of, hey, let's learn more, but interested in the sense of, you know, they've got skin in the game. And then you've got the consumer, of course, who I think is interested. I mean, I think it's an interesting time to be a consumer in the grocery store right now, given rising prices and everything that's going on on that front, right? So a couple competing priorities for sure. But I think the consumer is becoming more aware of this. And I think unsure exactly what that means in terms of taking action. I think the best way we may know how to do that today is like looking at organic produce, for example, or something that's sourced locally, right? Where you'd think, okay, that was sourced in my backyard. It probably didn't take a lot to transport that to me and relatively fresh, so probably better. So certain things like that. And then the third factor at play here is the economic picture. Things have cooled off a little bit, but for farmers, the cost of inputs and the cost of equipment has massively increased over the last few years. And that puts a lot of pressure on the operation, which, as I mentioned, are typically highly leveraged and low margin operations, right? And so you think about that and those three things happening, and it's creating kind of like the perfect storm of something needs to change, something needs to be different. It's interesting because if you go back through the history, there's been a number of different occasions where this type of thinking has come up or bubbled up. But my perspective is I, I don't think it's ever been in this kind of environment that we have now. And I think that now is the time where we'll really see it start to pick up in the way that mainstream agriculture is looking at production. I'm fascinated by what you're speaking about. A lot of people probably wouldn't know this at all, but I grew up on a farm. My dad was a farmer. That was many, many years ago. But what you're talking about in terms of regenerative agriculture, you mentioned some of the things that were just, that was just the way you did it then, mm -hmm. planting different crops on different fields at different times. And what I have not kept up with is farming over the last number of years. So am I hearing that, you know, it has become such a big business, such basically all those things that just used to happen naturally, they don't happen anymore. Are we almost returning to what farming would have been 40 to 50 years ago? I guess that's my first question. And my second question is, is this only in North America or is this worldwide that you would see this? In some ways, yes. And that's just a function of these systems, like the production systems downstream and upstream from the farm 
just becoming a lot more optimized and streamlined, right? And so you kind of have your major commodities, corn, soybeans, wheat, being increasingly more and more dominant. And some of the other maybe less common varieties or other grains or other things that were at least in row crop production, which is most of our world, have kind of fallen away a little bit. I think the part of that that's changing it a little bit now, again, is technology. And I think technology is allowing us to manage a little bit more complexity, again, in a a little bit more of a, let's call it diverse system. So I think it helps, but the adoption of that is slow and still ongoing. Now, your last question about, is this something that we're experiencing in the rest of the world? The short answer is yes. There's a lot of parts of the world that are looking at this in different ways and different angles. I think Europe is a little bit further ahead from North America with relation to, in general, understanding the climate challenge that we have ahead, but also introducing a lot more regulation. I think a lot of folks in North America would like to see us go down a path where we don't need regulation to solve the problem, but you know, it's possible at some stage that that happens too. But I would say, yeah, I think other parts in the world are certainly looking at this problem I think Europe is pretty advanced on the topic, but this question is literally everywhere. I mean, a place that's close to home for me, like for example, in India, there's a lot of discussion around the rice fields and burning rice straw, right? Which happens at the end of the season. So I think in different forms, this discussion is happening across the world. And I think different regions are in different places in the conversation. And I would say in North America, we're really just getting started. So I want to take maybe what a little bit about what you touched on a little bit, but maybe we can step back a little bit. And instead of just talking specifically about agriculture, do you want to talk a little bit about the climate tech space in general and what your outlook is for that? Absolutely. It's really interesting to think about the climate space because I would say prior to the last five or maybe 10 years, I mean, last five for sure, Climate, if you wanted to pursue a career in climate, it really was mostly aligned into the nonprofit sector and the public sector, right? I think the way that climate has evolved and now in the last at least five years morphed into a space where there is a large amount of commercial opportunity is hugely promising. And so for those people, maybe even like myself, who are looking for an opportunity to do something that's really positive and still build a really long and promising career out of it, I think it's a really exciting time to be in climate. Every single week, I talk to people who are looking to jump into climate or even agriculture, sustainable agriculture. And I think that's really exciting for the space. And so I think we've seen over the last 12 months, a slowdown in general across funding, the capital markets, and, and that space. I know there's been a couple different headlines on this topic, but I think at the ground level, there remains a lot of interest in climate tech more broadly and the outlook that that space has, because the problems there are not going away anytime soon. Depesh, I know you're excited about these developments and, and what's going on. Why should the average person, so we've got an audience first member listening to this, the average person, why should they be excited about these same developments that you've been talking about? So for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think 
you know, for the average person who is maybe a concerned citizen, let's say, I think it's hope because I think there's a lot of momentum in trying to tackle some of these problems that we talk about or see on the news or seem so big that where would one start, right? So I think there's some hope and positivity in knowing that there's a lot of energy going into the space and a lot of new ideas and, and talent going into the space, which I think is really exciting. The second thing is to think about it as an opportunity for themselves. Like I think if you're you know thinking about these things and thinking, well, I'd love to do that, but you know, I've got a great career over here. And so that's what I'm going to focus on, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that you can have both. I think the space in five or 10 years will be significantly bigger than it is today, right? And so, yeah, I think those would be the top two things that, that I would take away. And then the third thing I would add to that as a sub point to the last point is if you are interested, there's plenty of resources out there to read because this climate space is very broad. And everybody can find a space that pulls them and attracts them into it. For me, that turned out to be regenerative agriculture. For others, it could be something else, right? So the space is very, very broad. It's my favorite part of the podcast when Al asks his signature question. But I have a feeling you've already answered it with everything that you've already talked about. But we're going to ask you anyway, just in case there's something else. Sure. So there's a saying that goes, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? Yeah, in this case, less proverbial, more literal. But no, I mean, if I were to take something, maybe a, like a different track to this question than I think the track we've been following, what's really important to me is kind of the next generation of leaders that are coming up. As I mentioned, there's a lot of new talent coming into the climate space, but, you know, more broadly. And, you know, I spend a lot of my, I guess, let's call it professional non-time at work doing just that in mentoring and speaking to youth that are at different stages in their career with a special emphasis on BIPOC youth to really hone them into the next generation, which, you know, at some point is even going to take over from the likes of myself. So yeah, that's a personal passion of mine. And if they're taking over from you, they're definitely taking over from us long, long ahead of that. <laughs> exactly. So yes, that is a great answer. Well, listen, Depeche, thank you for joining us today and sharing your journey. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Veda? Yeah, just find me on LinkedIn, Depeche Mystery, and the company is Veda, V-A-Y-D-A. We and I would love to hear from you. All right, that's awesome. Well, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or join the conversation on LinkedIn. And remember, success leaves clues, my friends. Mm-hmm.